This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can have what it says I can have. Today, I'm ready to receive the incorruptible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. I'll never be the same again. Come on. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. Your best shout ever. Remain standing as Derek reads the word. Mark chapter 8. About this time, another large crowd had gathered, and the people ran out of food again. Jesus called his disciples and told them, I feel sorry for these people. They have been here with me for three days, and they have nothing left to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will faint along the way, for some of them have come a long distance. His disciples replied, how are we supposed to find enough food to find them, to feed them out here in the wilderness? Jesus asked, how much bread do you have? Seven loaves, they replied. So Jesus told all the people to sit down on the ground. Then he took the seven loaves, thanked God for them, and broke them into pieces. He gave them to his disciples, who distributed the bread to the crowd. A few small fish were found too, so Jesus also blessed these and told the disciples to distribute them. They ate as much as they wanted. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven large baskets of leftover food. There were about 4,000 men in the crowd that day, and Jesus sent them home after they had eaten. Immediately after this, he got into his, to a boat with his disciples, crossed over to the region of Dalmuntha. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had arrived, they came and started to argue with him. Testing him, they demanded that he show them a miraculous sign from heaven to prove his authority. When he heard this, he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why do these people keep demanding a miraculous sign? I tell you the truth, I will not give this generation any such sign. So he got back into the boat, left them, he crossed the lake to the other, crossed the other side of the lake. But the disciples had forgotten to bring any food. They only had one loaf of bread with them in the boat. As they were crossing the lake, Jesus warned them, Watch out, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. At this, they began to argue with each other because they hadn't brought any bread. Jesus knew what they were saying, so he said, Why are you arguing about having no bread? Don't you know or understand even yet? Are your hearts too hard to take it in? You have eyes, can't you see? Don't you remember anything at all? When I fed the 5,000 with five loaves of bread, how many baskets of leftovers did you pick up afterward? Twelve, they said. And when I fed the 4,000 with seven loaves, how many, large, how many large baskets of leftovers did you pick up? Seven, they said. Don't you understand yet? He asked them. When they arrived at Bethsaida, some people brought a blind man to Jesus, and they begged him to touch the man and heal him. Jesus took the blind man by the hand, led him out of the village. Then, spitting on the man's eyes, he laid his hands on him and asked, Can you see anything now? The man looked around. Yes, he said. I can see, but I can't see them very clearly. They look like trees walking around. Then Jesus placed his hand on the man's eyes again, and his eyes were opened. His sight was completely restored, and he could see everything clearly. Jesus sent him away saying, don't go back into the village on your way home. Jesus and his disciples left Galilee and went up to the villages near Caesarea Philippi. As they were walking along, he asked them, who do people say I am? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say you are one of the prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Peter replied, you are the Messiah. But Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Then Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but three days later he would rise from the dead. As he talked about this openly with his disciples, Peter took him aside 
and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Jesus turned around and looked at his disciples, then reprimanded Peter. Get away from me, Satan, he said. You're seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Then, calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worse, worth more than your soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message in the, these adulterous and sinful days, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. Give God a hand for the reading of the word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for what we've just heard, read, that it is life. The word of God is health to us. And now I pray that the seed that Derek scattered by reading your word will land on hearts today. And now, God, while we move forward, I pray that that word will find good ground. And it will bear good fruit. And you'll challenge us all with what we've heard. And we will walk out of the door different, changed, and better because of what we've read and what we've heard. In Jesus' name, you say amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Come on. He's a good God. <clears throat> I want them to put verse 21 on the screen. Mark, the writer of the gospel, does a beautiful job of setting us up. Mark comes along later in the life of Jesus and uh, he begins to write the stories out of Jesus but chapter 8 is the very middle of the gospel and I believe Mark intentionally set us up for the kill because 1 through 7 is nothing more than a continual proof that there's something different about Jesus. He casts out demons, he heals sick people Power flows out of him. Religious people are shocked. They've never heard anybody talk like him. They've never seen anything like him. Some called him a magician. Some called him a prophet. Some called him a sorcerer. Some called him the son of the devil. And all through the chapters leading up to chapter 8, which is the middle point before his resurrection, Jesus is bumping into all kind of personalities and opinions and what people think of him. And, and last week, in a very comical way, I tried to show you the power of religion and tradition that Jesus addresses our preferences, that we all will have preferences of who he is, but if we're not careful, our preferences can rob us of his power in his life. But chapter 8 goes deeper. It's as if the Holy Spirit is taking us on a surgical journey to calls us to come to a place that it's deeper than our personal preferences. It's deeper than the way I was raised. It's deeper than what my grandmother taught me or my denominational preference of Jesus. And we find the disciples have been following him for a long time and the chapter starts out with some very amazing things. You've got seven pieces of bread. You trust that with Jesus he turns that into seven baskets full. So if every basket had seven, you've gone from seven to 49. That's pretty good odds in the natural realm. And then they go on a boat trip with Jesus and they start arguing about the bread. And they get kind of you know, upset with each other like, you didn't bring bread? No, dude, I thought you brought the bread. Dude, I didn't bring the bread. I thought you brought the bread. And Jesus kind of interrupts and says, fellas, what are you arguing over? And I don't understand. He goes, what's going on? And then, well, well, we forgot the bread. And then insert the question. To understand the depth of the question, you got to know where it's coming from and why. He asked, Jesus asked to the disciples, don't you understand yet? I guess it wouldn't mean that much until you understand that the one that's asking it has been around before time ever began. We kind of look at it as Jesus is about 32 years old here. He's been around on the planet for 30 years or so. 
But this question, I believe, is not just don't you understand yet from a 30-year-old Jewish carpenter in a boat who claims to be God, but don't you understand yet coming from the wisdom of God that created it all from the beginning. And I think it's a question to all humanity proving that we just don't get it. And I think it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. When he says, don't you understand, the ears that are hearing it are Peter and the apostles, the disciples that are following him. But from an eternal perspective, from an eternal God that's been here long before he became God in the flesh, he was God in the heavenly realm. He was the word of God. He existed before time. And when he speaks, don't you understand, I think in some weird way, he's probably looking over all of the centuries and millennia of humanity and realizing not one blooming human has gotten it yet. All the way back to the first mom and dad. They didn't get it either. God shows up and says, here's life and here's wisdom of knowledge of good and evil. This will bring you life eternal. This will make you wise to know good and evil. Stay away from this or you die. And yet from mom and dad, we do what all humans do. We turn from what it's all about, life, And we go after me. What I want, my happiness, and what I exist for. And these fellas don't get it either. And I'm convinced most of us today don't get it either. I think the question is still just as relevant in 2020 from day one. We have blown it, messed it up, screwed it up, blown it up, religioned it up. Everything, and I think Jesus still is in heaven going, Man, don't you guys understand yet what this thing is about? It's not about religion, it's not about denominational preferences, it is about life. It's not about bread, boys. Don't you know that I can bring bread with a snap of a thumb? They think it's about bread, boys. It's not about bread. Because he's bringing them to an understanding. An understanding of not what he can do, but who he is. Because Mark chapter 8 is going to bring in a question. Don't you know who I am? I am life. I have come to bring you life. I've come, you guys are arguing over bread. How could you argue over bread when the very God that created the universe is in the boat with you? How could you even remotely let this bother you? How could you remotely argue over who bought the bed? Don't you understand with the bread I gave you 4,000, I did five. It's not a matter of number. It's not a matter of problem. I am life. Don't you understand? And they did not understand. It's in our nature not to understand. Our nature is save me. Our nature is, I want to be the best me I can be. The nature is, while I live on this planet, I want to achieve my dreams, my purposes, my stuff. It's about me. And what we've done in the church is we've let you live that selfishness out by introducing a man named Jesus that will help you be a better you. That is a farce. Jesus did not come to make your life better. He came because he is life. I'm a dead human. He is life. So what we have 2,000 years later that we don't understand is that Jesus, because it is about me, It's about my happiness, my family, my marriage, my children, my job, my income, my health, my education, my business. Everything of Jesus exists to make me a better human on this planet. Because what I understand is this planet has become my God. This planet provides me money. Provides me happiness, provides me clothing, provides me comfort, provides me food. And by Job, I'm going to serve the God of earth. And I'm going to put Jesus in my pocket 
so that when earth does not do it for me, I will ask him to move upon the earth to do it for me. And when he doesn't, I get ticked at him because I don't understand yet. When he doesn't give me the job, he doesn't give me the husband, he doesn't fix my marriage, he doesn't do the things that I want him to do for me, I get mad, I quit, I get out of church, I don't trust him, he's not really there, I'm an atheist, I'm agnostic because I don't understand yet. So as we ask the question to ourselves, and I've been asking myself the question all week, like, do I even understand? Or have I turned it into something it's not even supposed to be? Have I missed his power? Because he asked his disciples, he said, hey, let's just get to the quick. Who do people say I am? Now here's where it really takes a turn. Because we can be in love with him. Like I can love him with my whole heart. But if I'm not careful... I love him by what he offers me. So Jesus, the word of God, the life of God, the eternal life of God, Jesus now becomes my banker because he meets all of my financial needs. I need him to give me a raise. I need him to help me pay my debts off. So he becomes Jesus, my banker. That's seeing him from an earthly perspective. He also becomes Jesus, my doctor. I need him to fix all of these ailments in my body. I don't want to live a disciplined life. I want to do whatever I want, and I want him to fix all my quirks and creaks and stuff. My bad knees, my bad feet, my high blood pressure, my eye, my problems, my nose, my sinuses, my weight. I want him to do it for me, so I need you to be my doctor. Then Jesus becomes my life coach. Help me just be a better person. Help me to control my feelings. Help me not to cuss somebody out today. Oh, just be a good life coach. Give me, give me wisdom to be. Then he becomes my business partner. And Jesus starts categorizing himself in all of these areas of my earthly life. He becomes who I need him to be to make my earthly life better. He becomes my banker, my doctor, my real estate advisor. He becomes my lawyer. He, he becomes everything I need him to be to understand life on the planet. But the one thing I've become so familiar with that I forget is that he's not all of those things. He is just life eternal. I lose the fact that he's eternal life. I lose the fact that the reason he came was to give me eternal life. I lose the fact that that's what it's all about is eternal life. It's not about bread. It's not about more bread. It's not about just healing bad people, fixing bad people. He came for the soul of man. So now, look at another verse I want to put up. If you just go down a little bit, it's a pretty telling question that he asked. Verse 37. Because this is what he's trying to get you to understand. Is anything worth more than your soul? And my answer is, well, yeah. My house, my happiness, my children, my retirement. How how much I'm going to get paid for working this week. My happiness, my purpose on earth. Yeah, I got a lot of, I mean, I'm literally running through this thinking, I love Jesus, but I mean, if he's asking me this, all I've got to do is just look at my life and my life will answer it. I can't even fake my answer. I can say, oh, there's nothing. I can preach it to you. There's nothing more powerful than your soul. But if I'm not even living it, because I don't know if I believe that, because I'm more nervous about my future than my soul, I'm more nervous about getting out of debt than my soul, I'm more nervous about, I have anxiety about my job, anxiety about my children, anxiety about the future, anxiety about my health, anxiety about my money, anxiety about coronavirus, it's going to kill us all. I've got got anxiety up to here. 
And then he asked, is there anything worth more than your soul? Yeah, my kids, my house, my food, my health, my money, my job. All the things that I'm praying to you every day to fix that are bound to earth. And Jesus enlightens us with a question that just stings. I mean, it just, it just rips it out of you. Nothing is more powerful than the worth of your soul. And I throw this to you to think about. I think in churchdom, we have made Jesus more about everything else but our soul. We want him to just overlook our soul. We want him to just overlook our problems. But I'm really not thinking about my eternal destination. Except when a sermon is preached to scare me out of hell. Or I go to a funeral and I have to look at a dead person and go, I might want to think about life. It goes quickly. Or when you get older and you suddenly realize you're in your 70s or 80s and going, man, I'm kind of ticking on the backside of life here. I might want to think about this. Or when the doctor comes and says, well, you have an incurable disease. Okay, I, I might need to think about like there. Like I've been so focused here, I don't really think there much. I present to you this to think about. I flunked, so I'll throw the test to you and see if you pass. If you do, come talk to me. I could use some help. And you might, because some people get it. To understand the depth of this question, just ask yourself this question. Who was the last person lost that you led to Jesus? If you don't have anybody on your slate, then this question is answered already. There's a lot more things more important than people's souls. Because the person you work with every day, live by every day, called your neighbor, the people who are in your sphere of influence, and you've not one time thought, I wonder where they would go if they passed this life. I wonder if my waitress knows if she passes life, does she know that her soul has value? See, we've believed a lie. The lie is, well, it's just not my opinion. It's not me to know. It's I just leave that to God. Because the devil has gotten us so familiar with God, we've forgotten that we really do and we really are here about eternal life. We're not here for this life. We're here for that life, the eternal side of it. And I really ask, I wonder if I really do believe that the soul is important. So I want to take about the next 15 minutes and I want to tell you why I think your soul is important. It's not going to be funny. I tried to give you humor last week to sneak you back in to stab you this week. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Second Corinthians chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and I believe it's verse 19. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 19. Yes, that's it. And if our hope is in Christ, is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. My Lord, it's like ease up. This is stinging a bit. I'll read it again, and I'm going to personalize it. If Mark's hope in Christ is only for his life here on earth, Mark is to be more pitied than anyone else in the whole world. What? <laughs> I could think of a lot of more people worse off than me. Homeless people, dying people, poor people. And I'm the most pitied? God is looking down going, bless Mark's heart, he's the most pitiful person on planet earth. Would you really want God to look at all of your accomplishments? Your homes, your jobs, your education, your degrees on the wall, your accolades, your ability to bench press 900 pounds, to run miles upon miles, to have abs, to finally conquer the fat problem, to lose weight, all the things that we're sucked into with life. 
my business model, my entrepreneurship, everything that I'm striving for, asking God to bless it. Bless this idea, bless this idea, bless this business model, bless this, bless this, bless my kids, bless that, bless this. And then he comes and says, Mark, if only for this life you need me. You're to be most pitied, Mark. Oh, now Jesus, most pitied. Look at what I've done. I've planted churches. I've built houses. My kids are successful. Robin and I have saved our marriage. We're doing wonderful down here on this planet. Aren't you proud of me? And he goes, well, no, son. I just look at you and I just think nothing but sheer pity. Because you, Mark, don't understand yet. Understand what, Jesus? That, that I came to give you hope and life beyond planet earth. And planet earth has become your God. Planet earth has become your destiny. Planet earth has become your dream. Everything you use of me, every time you call to me, is to come down and fix your earth. And I want to know, Mark, why you lost the ability to understand it's not about earth alone, but it's about eternity to come, and every soul around you matters, Mark. And I go, don't say that. I matter. (laughs) Well, if this is true, how could Paul say this? Because there's one key difference between hoping in Christ for this life And hoping in Christ for that life. And the difference is one word that's very powerful. Death. Death comes to everybody. There's not a blooming thing you can do in this room to stave it off. It's coming with your name and number. It comes by surprise sometimes. It comes by expectation at other times. The dumbness is when we're in our teens, we ain't even thinking about death. We do dumb things that old people look at and go, thank God I didn't die. Some of us that are old are going, thank God I'm not dead. Because we look back at our stupidity. But the older you get and the closer you get to the moment called death, you suddenly begin to rethink things. If you're not careful, you start rethinking retirement. You start rethinking, was my life worth it? Did I live a good life? Did I take enough risk? Did I do what I need to do? Have I I lived in such a way? Did I do good? When I die, will will I have done something that will last beyond me? But we hate talking about it. We don't even want to talk, especially Christians. It's an ugly, dirty word. We want ugh. We'll talk about dying, but dying is the whole reason he came. When we remove death, there's no need for an eternal God. When I can tell you if you'll just eat better, run more, go to the doctor more, take better care of yourself. I really don't need him until I fall apart. In other words, I believe the lie that the only reason I need him is when I'm emotionally, spiritually, and physically falling apart down here. And he says, you need me because of death. All right, go to the very end of 15. That's where it gets really interesting. I'll tell you, let's just skip that for time. Go to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. And verse number 14. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood... The Son also became flesh and blood. That's Jesus. For only as a human being could he die. And only by dying, watch, this is, about, this is where we're going to dig a little deeper than typical Sunday morning. Only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. He didn't, uh, please hear me, don't go out and say, Mark's losing it. Just, just, for, the, just for the moment, hear this and, and kind of balance it out with your own maturity. Jesus didn't come to give you houses, cars, jobs, happiness, college tuition, and a husband 
or a wife. Jesus came because only by coming as flesh and blood could he die. And only by dying could he break, watch, watch, this is brilliant, not me, but this. The power of the devil who had the power of death. Meaning, no matter how much he helps you on the planet, if you do not believe in his death, if you do not believe in his resurrection, death still holds power over you. And you can die wealthy, healthy, with mansions, and everybody going, I'm going to miss them a lot. They've done so much for our planet. You can leave retirement behind. You can leave a foundation behind. You can put it all out there in your will of who gets what, when, and where. But at the end of life, the one thing you cannot ever do is stave off the power of death. All right, real quick. This is going to help me. I need six people. So good. You two girls, come. Ryan, come. Jonathan, come. Uh, there's four, so I'll go over here. There's five. Come on, I need one more, just brave soul. Good, brave soul. Yes, Mark, come. Thank you, Mark. I saw that hand. Come on. All right, I'm going to give you an object lesson of death. Now, you six just stand there because you're about to act this out. Not like act, like you have no speaking parts, so don't freak out. But I feel like it's going to help you understand what I'm talking about. Let me read Revelation chapter 6 as we prepare to go through what we're going to go through. Revelation chapter 6. This is really interesting. In the talking of it, it goes through that there are um, different horses. And listen to what it says. I gotta, I gotta find it here. It states this: When I saw the Lamb break the third seal, verse five, saying, "Come and look," and I saw a black horse and its rider holding a pair of scales, and I heard a voice: "A loaf of wheat and a bread of three loaves of barley will cost a day's pay, and don't waste the olive oil and the wine." When the Lamb, verse seven. Broke, get ready. Broke the fourth seal. I heard four living, I heard the fourth living being say, Come. I looked up and saw a horse whose color was pale green. And it's not Clint Eastwood, not Pale Rider. Its rider was named Death, and its companion was named the Grave. I now know that death isn't an act of leaving earth. Death is a literal being. We have made death an act. Bless God, they died. Let's bury them. We call it a funeral. It's an event. It's their funeral. We even put it on the tombstone when they died. Death is not an event. Death is a spirit with a name that holds a power over you. Now, let's do Sophia come and stand here, right in front and face this way. Lucy, Victoria, Kate, stand right behind her. This is Sophia, earthly life, Soph. This is her soul that we don't really see. This soul right here is facing a critical point because when Sophia passes life her soul if Sophia has never given to Jesus a belief her soul is going to be held by a power of death death please come here stand right back there at the wall and death's companion my dear friend is who we call the grave or hell. We have said that hell is a place. Hell is not a place. Hell is a spirit. 
we say, well, when you die, you may go to hell. When you die, you don't go to hell. When you die, you're held by death and you're held by the grave. Meaning, both of these, come here, God, you're just such a handsome God. Come here, Father God. All the way to the other side over there. Because their goal, stand right over by that end. The goal is to keep this soul from experiencing the life of the Father. We think that this is what life is about. Come, Jesus, you're going to be... It kind of looks like a little modern-day Jesus. That's why I picked you. A little shorter beard than I thought. This Jesus had to come in the flesh to die to release this power. We've turned that power into a funeral. And then we're so dumb that at that funeral, we will preach this soul into heaven. Oh, Sophia was such a good person. Sophia did great things on earth. You should have known her. She was one of the sweetest people. But what we do not know is because Sophia ran her life her own way and did her thing, death, wrap your arms around her grave. That's why I got a girl and a girl. <laughs> the grave now owns the soul of Sophia and will not let that soul go to the Father. That soul has the right to be held by death because God promised us that. The day you sin, you die. I can be down here and go, Sophia, y'all should have known her. Doesn't she look good laying there? Oh, she was such a sweet girl. She was so, I mean, I mean, she touched so many people. And don't you know today that she's just up there running around with the Father God on the streets of gold. She's up there with grandmama and all. No, she's not. You may think she's up there with grandmama. But if this girl, as wonderful as she is, never said, Jesus Christ is my Lord and I bow to Him, then the power of death has never been loosed off of her. And that spirit has a right to hold her there in a place that this, this, this being now is who we call hell. It's the grave. It's hell. It's where they are held by the spirit of death so that they cannot ever for eternity know the life of God. I cannot pray her out of that. I cannot ask her to come back. Death holds the right over the soul of Sophia Evans. Forever. And she spent all of her life chasing her dreams, chasing her purposes, chasing her destiny with the world lying to her. You just need to know who you are, honey. You need to be the authentic you. You need to be the real person you've been made to be. You need to chase your dreams and run after your destiny. And then Christians come along. Oh, he loves you just like you are, honey. Don't worry. There's always, don't you dare worry. God loves everything about you. He doesn't care. He just wants you to know you're loved. Bull hockey. He came to break the power of death. And if I don't ever tell her, your soul is going to be held for eternity away from the life of the Father. It's not the Father's fault. It's not Jesus' fault. It's because the way the thing was set up, we've been duped. Death is an event called a funeral now. And he said death is a power that will hold your soul. Hell is some place that we try to go, oh, it's full of fire. Ugh. Hell is not a place full of fire. Hell is where all the dead people go and are held there to an end moment where they have to stand before the Father. And this is why he came. He came so that death would have no power over me whatsoever. Death's claim over me would be let go. Watch as we end Revelation chapter 20. Are you understanding it? Yes. Revelation chapter 20. 
it starts talking about this end of the world. Verse 7. When the thousand years come to an end, Satan will be let out of prison. He will go about to deceive the nations called Gog and Magog in every corner of the earth. He will gather them together for a battle, a mighty army as numberless as the sand along the seashore. And I saw them as they went up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded God's people in the beloved city. But fire from heaven came down on the attacking armies and consumed them. Then the devil who had deceived them, Justin, come. You're the devil. Most of you don't know it, but that's why he wore all black. He looks kind. He looks harmless. He's not. He has come to kill, steal, and destroy. And this says the devil who had deceived her was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet, and there will be tormented day and night. So this devil, grab my hand, little devil, this devil now has to come who has deceived the whole world. He has to come and stand before the Father God. And once and for all, this dude has been judged to the lake we call fire. Which we kind of think is hell. Hell is over there. Lake of fire is here. Come in and get in. I'm sorry, it's going to be hot. Now watch. Watch what it said. There they will be tormented day and night. How long? You think you're going to get out? You think suddenly God's going to go, well, I better let them out. Which is harsh. I mean, this doesn't even feel good. I'm not, even, I'm not even trying to get you to feel good. I'm trying to get you to see why you need Jesus. So there he sits. But I still have a problem. Though he's the one that held power over these two. He held the power of death in the grave. I have now tossed the one that held the power into the lake of fire. Let's keep reading. And I saw a great white throne, verse 11. And the one sitting on it, the earth and the sky, fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead. All of them. Not just the soul of Sophia. Every dead person that has ever died without Jesus has been held by the grave and by death. That's why they're called the dead, not the live. And I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And books were opened, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done. She has to go now and stand before the Father God. They had to let her go. Because now it's time for him to do what he said. If you disobey and do not do what I told you to do, you will die. Not here. Not here. This is just where you're held to judgment. You will now die here. And now it says... You will be judged according to what you have done recorded in the books. The sea gave up their dead and death and the grave gave up their dead and everybody was judged according to their deeds. So she gets judged according to her deed. What was it? Did you ever get your name in the Lamb's book of life? No, I was too busy chasing me. My desires, my wants, my purposes. Well, because you didn't, I must fulfill my promise or I'm a liar. Everybody who rejects me dies. To the lake of fire you go. And this is what we typically call hell. Where she is tormented forever and ever. It's not his fault. He came to break the power. It's not his fault. He came because he loved us so much, he wanted to break their hold. It's not his fault. He saw it all along and had a plan. 
All he says is, believe my plan and this won't happen. Oh, it gets better. You ready? Then, death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. Sorry, you two. You've done a wonderful job. And now, death and the grave and the devil and every soul that they've ever deceived is in a lake of fire to be tormented forever. It doesn't make him feel good. He's not willing that any should die. And then it says, And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Anybody. This is why Jesus says your soul matters. Because we have made it about something totally different than this. We've made it about jobs and family and prayers being answered and Jesus giving me my house and Jesus healing my kitty cat. And and I'm not saying he doesn't want to do that. He loves every bit of that. He loves being part of your in and out life of every day. But the reason he came was to spare the soul of Sophia from living eternally in that spot. Everybody come back to your position. Stay there, Jesus. Lucy, come back. Stand behind Sophia. But to everyone, oh man, But everyone, Jesus, anybody who would ever call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. My God, that's awesome. I want to end with this. John chapter 3. Everybody knows it. Let's just, if everybody knows it, let's read it now and see if it means more to you than the dude holding the sign at the football game. John 3, verse 15. So that everyone who believes in Jesus will have eternal life. For this is how God loved the world He gave His one and only Son. So that everybody who believes in him would not die, but have eternal life. God sent his son Jesus into the world, not to judge it, but to save it. So when Jesus says, don't you understand? Don't you understand? I'm not saying I don't want to bless your houses and your kids and your jobs and your entrepreneurial ideas. Don't you understand? It's not that I don't want to heal your headache, your migraine, but don't you understand? It's not that I want you to tithe and come to church. Don't you understand? I died to break the power of these two. Why? So when we lay Sophia to rest, she goes into the presence of the Lord God Almighty and Jesus becomes the judgment. And Jesus becomes her life. And Jesus becomes her reason. And then he introduces her and says, Well done, good and faithful servant. Come into eternal life. They have no control over her. The moment we lay Sophia to rest, they have no claim at all. They cannot take her soul, hold her soul, keep her soul. For to die is to immediately be in the presence of God Almighty. And I can't, I can't pray Lucy in. I can't pray that she makes it. I can't pray her up out of this once she's there. The only thing I can do is be passionate enough, caring enough, and bold enough to tell as blooming many of people as I can, you don't have to die without Jesus. You don't have to end up over there without life. You don't have to be tormented for eternity. Oh God, would you make me bold enough to care more about souls than me? 
That's been my prayer this week. Would you make me so bold that I care more about souls than I do me? That's just my prayer for you. Thank you. Give all these people a hand. You can be seated. I hope that helped you kind of get a visual. Now would you bow your heads? Oh man, my heart. It just is so full of you knowing the love of your heavenly father. He wasn't Jesus so he could become your banker, your real estate agent, your lawyer, or your doctor. He's Jesus because he broke the power of death. He's Jesus because he saved your soul from an eternal torment. He's Jesus because he died your death. He's Jesus because he suffered your punishment. He's Jesus because he made a way for you to never be judged. For you to never even have to worry about spending an eternity in a place of torment. He made a way. And he, I ask you the same question we started with. Do you understand yet? Are you going to walk out of the door today going, well, I got time. I got another day here. I'm not real sure yet. I look, I'm not trying to scare you out of hell. I'm trying to push you to the love of Jesus. I'm trying to get you to know how extravagantly he loves you. I'm trying to get you to take your eyes off of being so frustrated about planet earth and put your eyes on an eternal God. Quit worrying about all the stuff you're worried about. You're going to die one day if he doesn't come back. But guess what? For every person who believes, the moment you close your eyes and take your last breath, you are in the presence of God Almighty. And you will live there forever and ever and ever. Don't you understand yet? Oh, man, don't you understand yet? That's the best I can do. I need the Holy Spirit to take over now. So Holy Spirit, I need you to talk to hearts today. I need you to convict hearts that maybe don't believe or maybe been living so shallow that they've never really understood what your life is about. Maybe we've become so familiar with you that we really don't even care about the souls of other people. I care more about me. Whatever it is, Holy Spirit, you know. And I pray right now that you just capture our hearts. Now, I would be foolish to let you go home and not ask, do you know Jesus? Have you said yes to him? I would be foolish to just say, go home, you've heard a good word, and not give you a chance to say, man, I want to believe in him. So if you're in this room, and you've never just said, I believe in Jesus. I believe what he did for me and I, I confess that. This is your moment. Or if you're here and you've just been religious, you've done all the religious things, but you've really just never settled. Oh my Lord, he, it is for my soul. And I've lost sight of that. Would you just a moment think about your soul for a minute? Could you just let go of every earthly pull and anxiety for one moment of time and think about your eternal destiny? It's Mark chapter 8. It's the moment of decision. Who do you say that I am? Thank you so much for joining us on the Believer's Church podcast. If you would like more information about Believer's Church, you can visit mybelieverschurch.com. If there's anything that you need prayer for, please email us at amen at mybelieverschurch.com. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next week for a brand new message. 